folks, Machinery Pete here. Thank you for joining us on episode number 32 of our Machinery Pete podcast. I think we have a show today that uh, I hope you'll enjoy. Uh, it's kind of focused around uh, the passage of time. And uh, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the faster it seems like time is going. And uh, uh, before we hop into our discussion, uh, boy, I just need to comment on the uh, used equipment market. It's just absolutely on fire here early in 2021 and of course it, it goes back to last fall in September we began to see auction prices start to strengthen as commodity prices went up but it's uh, really been amazing um, if you follow our Machine Repeat YouTube channel and the blog I write on MachineRepeat.com and of course our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff you probably saw a couple sales Saturday uh, February 20th 2021 I highlighted uh, both in Ohio my friends at the Went Group had a sale in Circleville on Saturday. Uh, it was the Walker Farm Retirement Auction. Uh, on the one hand, it was an on-site sale, so it was fun to see a YouTube video of my friend Kevin Went behind the mic again. And uh, wow, John Deere 9630, 1,252 hours, sold for 210000 bucks, highest auction price in over five, five years. Uh, John Deere 7920, no loader, 2,430 hours, went for 101000 bucks. Highest auction price without a loader in eight over eight years since August of 2012. Same day, last this past Saturday in Central Ohio, uh, great auctioneers uh, Ben Higgins Realty and Auction Company had a farm estate auction for Mel Evans, uh, and on this sale had a 97 Case H 7230 tractor, 3,093 hours on it went for 66,000 bucks. Same story here, folks. Highest auction price in eight and a half years. Third highest auction price ever on a 7230. So good condition, used equipment, particularly tractors. Uh, really, really selling well, continuing to be strong. Um, so again, check out MachineRepeat.com in our YouTube channel uh, to keep up with the latest there. Uh, now before we get started on uh, this week's show, let's pause for a moment uh, for a special message from our sponsors. Spring planning is almost here, and so is the age-old debate during planning season, speed or accuracy. Should we aim to get it done before the inevitable rainy days, or should we pace ourselves and get the spacing right? Egg Leader says, why not both? Don't sacrifice precise seed placement for speed. Get Egg Leader's Sure Speed Planning System with Sure Force Hydraulic Downforce. Not feeling the need for speed? Egg Leader also has a range of planning technology that's sure to meet the individual needs of your operation. Level up your planning this year. Contact your local Ag Leader dealer or visit agleader.com for more information. Ag Leader, technology that works for you. Okay, so like I mentioned before, folks, this week I kind of want to talk about the passage of time. And, uh, you know, February 2021, uh, last week I was kind of looking through some of our old Machine Repeat YouTube videos. And I stumbled across a three-part interview that I did back in February of 2011, so 10 years ago. And I was on my way to Louisville to the National Farm Machinery Show, and I stopped in Wyoming, Illinois, to interview my friend Tim Colgan, who had just retired from KSR Equipment, great John Deere dealer there in north-central Illinois, and also interviewed Tim's dad, Joe Colgan. Now, at the time, Joe was 97 years old, and Joe got into the farm equipment business in 1933. I think he's about 20 years old. And Joe was uh, just sharp as a tack. 
And it was interesting. Like I say, I was on my way to Louisville, and I was about a year and a half into doing our Machine Repeat YouTube videos. So, I, I mean, I didn't train as a journalist or anything. I've just sort of been reporting on this sector now, 30, now 31 years. At the time, just over 20 years, 10 years ago. And that was one of the first interviews that I did. Um, and I've, I've always been very interested in interviewing and basically just listening to older folks, whether they're farmers, equipment dealers, tractor collectors, auctioneers, uh, and just hearing the stories about what it was like back in the day. Uh, I remember all the way back when I was a kid being interested in those back-in-the-day stories. In fact, reading uh, like Sports Illustrated as a kid growing up, you know, the Remember When, so you'd have some ball player from back in the day. It just I was always fascinated to learn more about, you know, what it was like. And so Tim and Joe were very kind. And I just want to share with you that YouTube interview I did 10 years ago this month. Um, now, our friend Joe Colgan, like I say at the time, was 97 years old, sharp as a tack. Now, Joe passed away April 28th of 2015 at the age of 101. And I tell you what, Joe was still sharp as a tack. Um, in fact, on his 100th birthday, I believe his grandchildren um, got together and bought him an iPad and showed him how to use it. And they, they told me, they sent me a picture, Joe in his recliner looking at his iPad, and they said first thing he'd look at in the morning was Machine Repeat's blog. So Joe, Joe was a great guy. Uh, but to hear his stories, talking about, you know, back in the day trading in horses as a dealer, Unbelievable. Uh, Joe actually got into his own uh, equipment uh, dealership in 1947 in his little hometown of Wyoming, Illinois there, Colgan Company Implement, and his son Tim went to work for him. Uh, so to sit at their kitchen table in their house in Wyoming, Illinois, and talk about you know what farming and the dealership business was like back in the day, uh, Joe had a big box of pictures and records that he was referring to, just some eye-opening things. And, you know, it, I think as we go about our lives today, hurtling through as fast as we go, I, honestly, I think we miss opportunities to learn things from our elders. Uh, and so I'm hoping this conversation, we, you can pick out some things and truths that Joe and Tim share. Uh, now, one of the truths uh, that I'd point you to is the fact that they raised 12 kids uh, in, their, in their beautiful little home there in Wyoming, Illinois. Uh, and during the last part of the interview, Joe's wife, Magella Colgan, she kind of wandered in. I could see her off to the side because I was interviewing Joe and Tim, and we kind of waved Magella in, and she sat at the kitchen table with us. Now, at the time, uh, I forget how many years they'd been married then, but it wound up, um, so again, Joe passed away April 15. They were, I think it was almost 75 years they were married raised 12 successful kids, and I just asked them, you know, guys, what was the secret to raising 12 successful kids? And to hear Joe and Magella talk about it and Tim was uh, powerful. So, again, this is an interview I did 10 years ago this month on my way to Louisville. Stopped in Wyoming, Illinois to visit with then 97-year-old Joe Colgan and his son, Tim. 
Hit the ground running this planning season by upgrading your equipment to radial farm tires. With Farm Hard Rewards by Firestone Ag, upgrading and saving money is easier than ever, because we know farming sure isn't. Between now and April 30th, save as much as $200 per tire when you buy two or more eligible Firestone radial tires. Terms apply. Firestone is also offering the chance for you to win a limited edition Firestone Wheels of Time collectible toy tractor. Complete a survey on their website and you'll be entered to win. Firestone will donate $25 to the National FFA organization for every survey completed. Visit firestoneag.com or contact your local certified Firestone Ag dealer to learn more. Hey folks, Machine Repeat here and I'm in Wyoming, Illinois today. Uh, kind of a special visit. Uh, I'm on my way to Louisville for the National Farm Show, and I'm here with my friend Tim Colgan uh, and his hey, dad right. Joe. Joe, nice to meet you. Thanks Glad for having me. I know you, Greg. Yeah, Tim, always pleasure yeah. to see you. Good to see you. And uh, yeah, we've got a really interesting story here today, folks. Now, Tim just retired right. as a deer dealer from the, the local dealership, which yeah. is KSR Kelly Sutter Rupiper. I was with him 22 years. Okay. Been with deer for 40. 40, and now Dad, Joe here, you started. started with John Deere when, Joe? My first job with a dealer was in 33. 1933. My first job with Deere was 37. Okay. And you started, you went And right. I became a dealer in 47. Right here in Wyoming? Yeah. This is my hometown. Okay. Wyoming, Illinois. So, now what was your, your first job with, with Deere again was 1937? Well, I was in sales. I was an assistant on the territory, okay. calling on dealers. So how big was your territory? We each have about eight or ten dealers. Each territory had about eight or ten. Okay. So, and But I worked at various territories. I worked pretty much the whole state at okay. some time. Uh, so what kind of car were you driving in 1937? Plymouth. At that time, they, they bought Plymouth. Okay. Okay. And I had a black Plymouth. And you would travel around Illinois visiting with the deer yeah, dealers. Yeah, I spent time uh, in uh, Champaign, principally, the territory there, and the Galesburg territory, and I wound up on the Pontiac territory. Okay. I was living on the Pontiac territory when we got married in okay. 1940. And your wife, again, was very gracious. She was a country school teacher in that territory. Really? Awesome, awesome. And you, you guys have lived in Wyoming, Illinois here for how long, Joe? Well, that was my dad was born about six miles from here in what they called the valley. There are a lot of Irish out there. Okay. And in 1910, he bought a piece of ground right here by town, Okay. right at the edge of town. His business was principally, he was a farmer, but he raised perching horses. Persian horses? Persian horses. Persian, okay. okay. And he'd raise enough colts every year that to keep them every yearling or maybe even a two-year-old and sell them. Okay. And he made money selling horses, but then that business quit. Sure. And then, uh, so you, in 1947, you got into the dealership here in Wyoming? Yeah, 1947. Yeah. Okay, what was the what was the implement business like in 1947, Joe? What do you remember about those days? The war would just well, ended. we bought the business for twenty thousand dollars. The old business, twenty thousand dollars. Okay, okay. And but probably seen but I didn't have enough money, so I had a partner. Okay, and who was your partner? But I made it. Who was your partner back then? He was a dealer. Okay, and 
I was he was on my territory, okay. and I told him that I had a chance to be a dealer, but I needed a partner. He said, "I'll be your partner." Okay. Okay. And off so you went. we we together we bought the business, and it was that's where I had worked before I went to Deer. Okay. When I went to work here in '33, Tim and I talked about this. Yeah. There was the dealer and two men. That was the business. That was a mechanic and a delivery man. Or setup man. Wow. And you were telling me before about the parts. Well, when I got my job, uh, Deer told his the dealer he had to have somebody keep the door open okay. because he would go to the country and lock the store. Okay. So they hired me. He hired me as parts man and bookkeeper. Okay. <laughs> the parts department was twelve foot of shelves against the wall for detractors. Twelve foot of parts. That was it, huh? Yeah. Well, that we didn't have much. Plows and tractors, right? Model right. D's and and GPs and right. three bottom plows and arrows and uh, that was the whole line. That was manure spreaders. There wasn't very much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I worked for him for four years. Okay. And uh, in my acquaintance with uh, really with a John Deere bill collector, he was collecting farmers' notes. Okay. And I got well acquainted with him, mm-hmm. and he. Got me into John Deere. Okay. And then again, 1947, you became a dealer. Yeah. And what do you, no, so that was right after the war. Well, uh, yes. And we, uh, so you had like allocations. In fact, I was not in service. I had two brothers in service. Okay. And of course, people were getting high priced jobs. I wasn't making much. Okay. But I said, well, I'll stay on this job until the war is over. And it was in 47 when I had a chance to to be a dealer. Okay. And uh, And what do you remember about your first, the early years being a dealer, Joe, first five years? Well, things really got better pretty fast. We could sell a machine at list. At that time, later, I found out that it says suggested price, Uh but that's only a suggestion. Yes, suggest what you get yes. is what you can get from okay. a farmer. Okay, so in the late forties, you were selling. What were your biggest selling tractors around here? Well, A's. Uh, well, uh, in forty-seven, we had gotten up to what seven twenties, maybe. No, that was in the early fifties. Coming up. Anyway, uh, yeah, Tim's got a book with our tractor sales. So this book is from. The late 40s, this early was 70s. some 47, 48, and 49. Wow. Yeah, that's got the handwritten names. Corn pickers. Look at all oh, the corn pickers. We got model 200. We got to show this to the folks here. This is awesome, folks. This was uh, a computer back in the day here. The record <laughs> book right here from the 40s. So these are corn pickers local farmers bought. Let's okay. see if we can find the tractors. They'll probably be up front. Combines. That was the first of the combines, 12 A's. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there's a 55 self-propelled. Okay. What year was it? Uh, that was uh, 1950. 1950. A 55 combine in 50. Wow. I think you go back to T. Here we are. Yeah, here we are back in 49 and model A's, B's, A's. Here's a G. A B A B M T. So the list prices, Tim? Uh, no numbers here. Just a serial number and the date and the model. And you were saying before that each customer would have their own 
their own page in the, in the ledger? In their account book. In the account book, okay. Yeah. But that was when I began. When, in the 30s. Uh, by the time I was a dealer, uh, we had a lady bookkeeper. Okay. And uh, we did get a bookkeeping machine. Bookkeeping machine? Yeah, it was kind of an elaborate typewriter that, that she could enter things in it and get a good statement out of it. Okay. And uh, she was good at it. She stayed with me for 35 years. That's she awesome. was a very good lady. It looks like in 1949 you sold 12 tractors, A's and B's, and then in 50 you sold about 25. So that was the year that it really kind of recovered and took yeah. it off. 1950. Yeah. And, uh, actually... Gear was good to me. Everything was on a lot. Okay. But they could squeeze a little machine out for sure. me. Sure. And as I said, we could just, if we had it, we could sell it. Right. right. At that time, I had a man one day with cash money in his hand. Mm -hmm. And he, well, it might have been later now. It was a four-row climber. Okay. Well, I said, I don't have one to sell. He said, there's one in your shop. He okay. knew that I had a new one sure. in the crate. Yeah. I want to buy one. And he had hundred dollar bills, and he said, "I want to buy a four row plumber. I haven't got one to sell to." He was disappointed. Now, Joe, you 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 know all those decades, you, and you were in the business until when did you retire? Well, eighty nine. The boys took over. Okay. Uh, Tim took over in seventy. Seventy nine. Ran it for ten years. And how many boys, Joe? How many uh, sons were in the business? I have seven boys. Seven boys. Awesome. And five girls. My grandson. Oh, wow. <laughs> but there was two of us in the business. Okay. My brother Pat and myself. Pat and Tim. Pat and Tim. Yeah. In 1970, you yeah. jumped in. Huh? 77. Well, I started, and then I came back from Vietnam, and... Yeah. Uh, Hi there. How are you, Andy? Andy, nice to nice meet you. Meet you. And Andy, you are uh, Tim's. Yeah. Tim's so. son. Okay. Yep. He's recording cool. this on his machine. Yeah, right. 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 started. It's right there. Yeah. So. But I came back from Vietnam in '69, uh, okay. and then went to Bradley University and finished up my career there. And then in '71, I came back and worked for Dad, and then okay. bought him out in '77. 1977. To '87. Is when I ran. Okay. Yeah. So, Joe and Tim, over your years in the business, um, obviously farming is very cyclical. So you've seen some some yeah. big ups and downs. And what what you know some of the, the rougher times that Tim you went through the eighties. The eighties when things were were tough then, and uh, just it was real hard making any money on any deals. The farmers simply didn't have the money. Right. And so that was a tough time, in the, and that's when deer started consolidating dealerships. And uh, we had a very good territory manager at that time who told us the new tractors were coming, the new bigger combines, right. the newer planter style. And so they said, your shop's going to have to be bigger, you're going to have to have more people. Yep. And also he said, you really should make a decision. Are you going to join with somebody else or are you going to get out? Right. So we decided that at that time we had farm ground that uh, uh, I would uh, step away and go back to farming. Okay. And that was when was that? 89. 89, you merged with... Uh, we, we closed our dealerships. Okay. And then at the same time, at one time there were six John Deere dealers within 20 miles of Wyoming. Wow. So a lot of competition for equipment, yes. right, Dad? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. But the job a lot of competition between dealers. Yeah. So that, that's a tough deal when the uh, farmer's got six options within 20 miles, all deer dealers, huh? Yes. Lots of choices on tractors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course, there were a lot more farms then. That's true. The average That's farm true. was probably 200 acres, not 4,000. But Joe, what uh, the changes you saw over your career in the implement business? Uh, well, what well, I was, out for you? I was thinking about how sales went. I, we talked there before about two row pickers. Right. There was a time when the corn yield all of a sudden swelled. Yep. Then. We were selling corn pickers, but then the combines came in, okay. and that was the end of corn pickers. And did you get stuck with a few pickers on the lot, Joe? I sure did. <laughs> As I told you, that we were given $1,000 for a trade-in mounted two-row number. 226. Okay. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they were worth nothing. Mm. I had uh, about eight on the lot. Okay. I'm pretty sure I sold the whole... Back okay for thousand dollars to uh, a to a junk dealer. Kind of in the what's it weight. You know we did depend at that time. Wisconsin was a good place for used machinery. Sure. Sure. We had buyers coming from Wisconsin. Right. One was a John Deere dealer, and he'd come down here and buy, and he was a good okay. buyer. Okay. Uh, so we sent quite a bit of used machinery to Wisconsin. Okay. But another thing that I thought about when you one uh -huh. of how in every era or every yeah. few years there was a popular machine. Yeah. Like I can remember when everybody had a case plow. Okay. We sold D tractors. Everybody liked a D tractor. Right. Then it was New Holland Baylors. Sure. Everybody had a New Holland Baylor. Okay. Everybody had an AC five foot. Combine, far takeoff combine. Wow. You know, that was the way it went. And then we had, when we hit the 4020, kind of then run, we were it? in a good spot. Tell them about the wagons, Dad. Wagons? Wagons when you went to the gravity. Well, Flare box wagons came in from Indiana. And at first it was a kind of an indication that you were a second class farmer if you had a gravity flow. Mm -hmm. If you were a good farmer, you had a barge box with a hydraulic hose. Okay. And that was the that was the standard. Okay. But the gravity flow box was good. Okay. And they kept getting bigger and sure. pretty soon everybody had gravity flow and then pretty soon they had two two hundred bushel gravity flows. Things changed, don't they? It was a change. Right. Remember yeah. the year we were selling M and W little red wagons, oh, all yeah. liners? That yeah. caught on. They had big tires. Oh, right, right. And we had a driver. He would go down and bring back two at a time they from uh, Gibson, Gibson City. Gibson City. Yeah. 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 And they were gone. Mm. That was a big year. Yeah. Fun to find those those hot spots for the equipment, isn't it? <laughs> well, well, what do you remember when the 4020 came out, Joe? Uh, what, was, what was the farmer reaction when, like, the 4020 came out? Oh, they, they were ready. They wanted them. The, the two-cylinder was done. Okay. You know, the 4010 and 3010 was ahead of the 4020. Right, right. In 60 was when Deere introduced the 3010, 4010. Now that was a big jump for Deere, too. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. You went to Dallas to see him. Remember, Dad? Yeah. Oh, for the release? Every dealer went to Dallas for, for a grand opening. 
for the 4010s? And we didn't have a peak at that before that day. Really? And one strange thing, we went and saw the new tractor and everybody was pleased. Okay. Then we went and had a cup of coffee and were visiting. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden somebody said, where's the belt, pu belt pulley? <laughs> there is no belt pulley. How can you sell a tractor without a belt pulley? You've got to have that belt pulley, absolutely. Wow. The old two cylinder belt pulley was there all the time. Right. Well, then you got home uh, and started selling them to dealer or farmers, and you must have realized pretty quickly that you know this was. Oh a yeah, well they wanted the power. Right, right. The uh, seven thirty had gotten to the limit. I was demonstrating a 720 or 30 with okay. a five-bottom plow, and I had a friend who was an international dealer. Okay. And he said, I'm an engineer, and I, that 730 will not pull five bottoms. Okay. And I said, Bill, I'm not an engineer. I'm lucky. I just back up and put in the pin and plow. And there you go. Five <laughs> bottoms. Perfect. Now, back in the 60s, your customer base, again, there were six dealers within 20 miles. So what was the farthest out where your customers came from? It was all so local. Well, occasionally we'd get out 25 or 30 miles, some individuals, some way, okay. some contact. Okay. But most of our business, I guess you'd say, it had a radius of 15 miles. 15 miles. Just like it is today, right, John? We seven <laughs> states. The Internet uh, opens up the door to anybody. With, just see the pictures and buy them off the Internet. Our truck was in seven states last year. You were just telling me that uh, back in January or December that just before you retired, you got a call from a dealer in Louisiana. Louisiana, the dealer down there, uh, end of November, he had sold out his allotment of international case tractors, and he had called Central Illinois Deer Dealers trying to buy our trade-ins if we had them because he had no inventory because the price of cotton and soybeans was right. so good. Yeah. But we didn't have what he needed, but uh, the Internet, he was just searching all over the U.S. Right, it's uh, the, the flow of information, the availability of finding out is just so amazing these days. Yeah, people don't care how far you truck it, it's just what they want. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Now, we have an interesting plow here, folks. i got to have Joe and Tim tell you this story. Um, I'm just going to hold this up for the camera here. This, uh, Joe, why don't you tell us about this plow? Well, I had a farm sale in 19... Here's the picture. Uh, yeah, this is that year. This is that plow. year. Yeah. Okay. I bought a, this plow. It was shiny, new like a, like a new plow. Okay. And as a matter of fact, the dealer, the auctioneer knew me, and he knew it was a John Deere plow. And he called for a bid, and I made one bid, and he said sold. And when roughly was this, would you guess? Well, when was this? How much money? Or what? When did you buy it? 1951. 1951. About five miles north of town here. Okay. Downing Brothers were an old couple selling it out. Okay. And I got that plow, and Tim still has it. It, uh, according to Deer's records, it's it's now 100 years old. Wow. And uh, uh, we kept it all the time. Well, Deer, when they built the new Deer and Company building. Okay. Uh, somebody knew about it. They wanted to use it as a breaking plow to break ground for the new building. Oh, really? Wow. So they had this. This was an employee of theirs okay. and his team. Yep. And and they uh, they actually used your plow. To they break used ground. our plow. Really? 
break ground, ground for the to break ground for the Iron Palace. Wow. <laughs> and the cool. end of powers, it is. You uh, you mentioned, of course, your name, Peterson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This man with the pipe. Yep. He was with Deer back in the. Was. What was. RJ. How do you get this? I got a record of it here. Oh no, his name is Carlson. I was thinking it might be Carlson, Peterson. Peterson Woodfalls. Carlson, yeah. There's a few well, of Scandinavians around, yeah. First of all, he was going to do the plowing. Okay. And you know that with the walking plow, you, you put the lines over your shoulders and tied them. Sure. And then you didn't hold them, you held the plow. Right. But they did that with R.J. Carlson. Okay. And then they told the team to step up. Okay. And the touch tugs were loose. Oh, no. They pulled him up on the plow. Pulled him right in, huh? And wow. so a miserable he, start. he stepped back, and the farmer <laughs> did the plowing. The farmer did the plowing. Yeah. And that was the start of the Yeah, that was, oh, that was good. Cool. And you got to send you have to email me a picture of the plow. I haven't yet. I'd love so to we'll it. do that. Now, one other picture, Tim, you emailed me. These were great pictures from the early 70s. Right. This uh, was the uh, 40, the introduction of the 4230, 42, 44. Okay. They shipped those tractors to all the dealers covered in cardboard so no one could see the rounded cap. Was it fall 72? It would have been in the uh, spring of 72, I think. 72, okay. But every dealer had one, and on a Saturday morning in... Uh, in uh, 72, we all had an open house, cut the cardboard off, and everybody got to see the rounded cab. The rounded cab. And uh, people were sure surprised. The old year-round square boxy cab was gone, and right. the new rounded ones. Kind of like that new, or the losing the belt pull. Yes. Mask, huh? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, we've got good pictures of it. Well, I love, it was funny, we posted that picture on a blog, and we got feedback from people, from farmers around the country who remembered going, going to the open house. house. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, pretty cool. Now, again, Joe, you retired and uh, Well, year? I don't know. I, I stayed out of the store after sometime in the 70s, maybe late 80s. Late 70s. 70s. Yeah, okay. Tim was running it then. Okay. Yeah. Now, since you retired, Joe, it's been 30, a little over 30 years what what do you make of what the advancement on these machines and GPS and all this oh, stuff? I, I've talked to dealers, and there's absolutely no way I could have any part of it today. I think you give you a week and you'd be right up to speed on it. <laughs> you yeah. have it. No, I, I don't even have a computer. <laughs> no, no problem. Could you have, have imagined that these machines would cost... Well, dollars or, and be run by satellites and just unbelievable. That, that booking machine that I told you about, mm-hmm. that cost a hundred dollars, you know. That was a way too much. That was a big investment. Tell them about your annual sales that one year, Dad. I can remember the year that we paid dear a hundred thousand dollars. You paid dear a hundred. Everything we bought from them amounted to a hundred thousand dollars. I don't know what oh. year it was, but wow. <laughs> and we were making a living. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, things uh, things change, don't they? Now they went from a two row, twenty four row, thirty six rows, 
Cobra, Cornheads. Were you were you into the any of the forty eight roll stuff here? With no, we haven't done any of that. The big forty eight. Yeah. yeah, it just keeps changing. I'm heading to Louisville, so we we probably did sell. You sold twelve rows. We did sell. Got up to eights and twelves. Eight row wide was popular. Yep. And then the twelve row narrow. Yeah. But what would you say about uh, your your client base in Northern Illinois here, Joe? The farmers that you worked with over your career. Uh, this is a great area, Northern Illinois. What 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 did you enjoy about working with farmers here? Oh, I I, I liked farming. I mean, I liked the outdoors. Mm-hmm. When I left here, I said I want to get closer to the dirt okay. and be a dealer, and that's yeah. what I did. And and uh, you know, farmers were tough, <laughs> but I was too. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Now, how about? Uh, uh, Deer as a company uh, is such a, a worldwide leader, but you you going back so far with them, Joe, what do you remember the early days about uh, the relationship with the company as a dealer? Was it, I imagine that changed as a lot. dealer? Yeah. Uh, I'd say the, the company was good to us. Uh, they led us along and forced us some. Mm-hmm. And some of it was hard for us to understand, but it was necessary. And, sure. and uh, I have always complimented Deer on the personnel. Two people. There were a lot of Petersons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it makes life easier when you work with good people, doesn't it? Good uh, people. Good yeah. people, yeah. yeah that, that's true. Well, the farmers would be, I think I'd say, loyal to us. We'd have second and third generation Boys, customers, big sure. customers. Right. Although a few of them got too smart. They <laughs> they were smarter than their dad, and they went shopping. I went shopping. Now, that's another change, I imagine, Tim, that you must have seen, too. Yes, that uh, the old dads would come in and say, well, that's all right, Joe, bring it out. Well, yeah. now that the sons and grandsons are there, They've been on the internet, and they've priced out the equipment, and they've done lots of shopping and all, and so... They're probably looking at these that crazy auction price guy, too. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's been a benefit with your side, because they know what their equipment's worth, sure. and they know what the new one is, and so when they come in and say the difference ought to be 80000 and you say the difference is 80000 they say, that's correct, and so let's do it. Would you say that... Uh, Implement business these days, providing value to the customer relationship. Very important because of the size of the equipment, the parts, the people, the the technicians. Uh, You've got to have the backup. And if you don't have that, you can't shop somewhere else and come in and expect our technicians. uh, Our stores, we had 65 employees and all good people, very little turnover. Good young people knowing the computers and all in it. So that's good. And it's probably will become even more important, I would imagine, going forward. Sure. Um, taking care of the customer. But yeah. that must have been the same back in when you started, Joe, taking care of the customer. Well, yes. That, I think that's what kept we had. We always had good servicemen and good shop. Uh, when we did close our store, five of our men went to one other dealer. He took all five of them. The whole curve. They were good quality men. Yeah. And they stayed with him. And we had employees that were with us, you know, 20 and 25 years here, uh, that were 
They were good people. Right. Uh, I never had to fire anybody. If they found out they didn't fit, they just left. <laughs> right. Uh, so what kind of boss was, was, was Dad to Dad was a good teacher. Honesty? Yep. That's the way to do business, isn't it? Right. Long-range thinking. You treat people well. Um, I'm not sure that's why you were in business and successful all those years, both of you. Yeah. Well, we did. We paid them well, but they were worth it. Right. And the employees, uh, yes. And we knew that that was the. Uh, it's like a farmer. I've compared it to a farmer. Okay. He could get some low-cost help, right. but before the afternoon's over, he might have the planter in the fence. Right. Right. It. it it paid to have good help. Yes, that's, that's true. Now, Tim, you came back from Vietnam, you said, and yes. you got involved with the business? Right. So what was that like? You were how old when you came back? Uh, 21. 21 years old, yeah. coming to get back into the info business. With right, came money. back, got married, finished college, and Dad at that time was needing help. Okay. Uh, so that's when the first of the round cabs were coming, you know. Right. So that was a booming time, the early 70s. Sure, and yeah. so... Uh, came back, moved to Wyoming, and uh, took off with the business. Wow. And the 70s, yeah, just the, the whole decade was kind of go time. Sure, it? yeah. yeah. But, and then learning the business from your dad, was that... Uh, well, we, we learned, uh, I'll have to tell a quick story, that the mechanics, when I was a little kid, probably getting in the way, they sent me after a left-hand monkey wrench okay. over to the hardware store, and Buck owned the hardware. He said, oh, Tim, he said, I just gave it to the plumber down at the corner. So I went down there, and he picked it up right away, and he said, well, I gave it to Billy Stahl. So they got me out of the way searching for the left-hand looking wrench. Uh, <laughs> Andy, if you'd hand us that picture, let, uh, let Pete see that. Yeah. Now uh, you're talking about the 70s. That picture was our store. In, they were downtown before. In the 70s. Downtown Wyoming? We yeah. had been in a storefront uptown until we built that building. I bought 10 acres and built that building. And the year we moved in there, our business doubled. Cool. Without any other thing. We had sufficient room accommodations to okay. give service and do it right. Awesome. Uh, someplace we've got a picture of the storefront that we were in for... For, uh, here it is, right here, Dad. Nope. Oh, that's Dallas. That's Dallas. Yeah. You, you've kept good records, Joe. I, I like oh, that up here. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Some people are collectors, but I'm Once again, Joe is, how old are you, Joe? 97. 97. You're looking awesome. <laughs> you really are. I hope when I'm 97, I'm half as sharp as you are, Joe. Well, I know my name. <laughs> No, this was no, taken. It's not a good picture, but that was taken at Dallas for the release of the forty tens, the yes, ten series. Forty ten, okay, nineteen sixty, sixty one. Now I see, I see resemblance there. That's good. That's good. There ought to be a picture here. There's my parts man. When we did get some parts, that was my uncle Jim. That's my that's brother. Yeah, that was Dad's brother, Jim. Jim Cole. Okay, there we go. At, at a later time, we bought a second store, and he was, he was his store. Okay. Well, here it is. Here's a picture. We operated here for 18 years. Oh, that's on the corner, right? On Main Wyoming. Street. Main Street, Wyoming. That was the start with the Colgan Company right there, folks. 
And, and uh, again, you were in the store till when? Did you build a new one? 64. 64. We moved into the big building. That was a Valen building out of Nebraska, and we built it. So now I just drove down Main Street, Wyoming here. What is this building now? That was the Ford car dealership Okay. at the south edge of town. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's on the route going south. You didn't. You came in from the west. Oh, yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, this building is just two blocks Right down there, street. Okay. And that was where you, from 1947 to 1964. That's correct. The train came right by there. In the old days, they brought the equipment in in boxcars. So I can remember when I was a little kid helping to roll the, they had wheels under the frame of the, like, corn planters. We'd roll them out the door. The tractors came on flatbed cars. Yeah. And they were spiked down. Tell them about the putting the, the tread on the oh, tires then. Back when I went to work, my first job okay. with a dealer, okay. I was putting lugs on a Model D tractor, steel lug on a flat wheel. Yeah. And to have the face of the lug right direction, mm-hmm. I'd hold my hand and put in this three-quarter bolt and a big nut. Okay. Had a wrench about that long and get them good and tight. Yeah. And I did the left wheel. Then I went to the right wheel and did the same thing, (laughs) and the lug was backwards. And when I got about half through with the wheel, the older man that was watching me said, Are you sure you're doing that right? (laughs) So I had to take them all off. Put them on right. Lesson learned. That, that stuck in my mind. But I said to him, you knew I was doing that. I know, but he said, you'll remember. You'll remember. That's good. That's good. Okay, Joe, show me what, what do we got a picture of here now. This customer was buying this two-row picker from me. Okay. He had an old one. Yep. And I told him that I'd give him $1,000 for his old one as a trade-in. Okay. He said, Joe, it's not worth that much. <laughs> And what was the cu- what's the customer's name, Joe? That only happened once. That was Mr. Wirtz. Mr. Wirtz. Chris Wirtz, yeah. Chris Wirtz. Yeah, he was my customer. He was a loyal customer. Yeah, that, that's a kind of customer conversation you would remember as a dealer. <laughs> my trade-in isn't worth He that. was a good one. That's yeah. awesome. Well, he had been a, maybe my just about my first customer as a dealer. I got an allotment of two seven-foot power mowers. Okay. And I went to Chris and I said, do you need a mower? He said, yes, I do. And I said, well, I got a mower. This was your and first sale? I think it might have been one of my very first uh, sales. mower. Okay. As a dealer. Okay. And, and I, I sold know. Chris a, a mower and he never forgot that. Wow. Our last uh, tractor we sold was a 4450 okay. over to Toulon. And we just saw the gentleman the other day that uh, bought the 4450 over there. Uh, Harley Rediger, Rediger. Okay. the Rediger family, and they still oh. got it, and so they're proud of that. Does he have a relation in the auction business, Rediger? Rick yes, Rediger? that would be a nephew. Nephew, Rick. Okay. Yes, yeah, yes. Oh, Rick Rilwell, great auctioneer, yeah. yeah. Their dads were, uh, this fellow and his father were brothers. So but that was the last tractor when you the were The last there. tractor that came out of Colgan County. Okay, a 4450. Huh? 4450, two-wheel drive. Awesome. Probably worth as much now as when you sold it. Huh? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. All right, Joe. You got all kinds of good pictures here, Joe. What else you got to show us? Well, that's one of our auctions. One this of your auctions. Been, uh, okay. This was in 1953 that we, we had annual auctions because okay. we didn't have many jockeys at that time. Right. And so here's a 12A combine, 
And here's a couple of, uh, I think those are Alice with five foot cutter bars on them. Wow. And five bottom, four bottom plows. Looks like you had a good crowd there, Tim. You had a good crowd, yeah. Mr. Beanie was the auctioneer at that time. He was from Wyoming? Yes. Okay. So he did all the farm auctions. Wow. I love I love seeing those old auction photos. Those are great. It probably was this same day as the sale started. Yep. A Ford rear cultivator was worth $125. Okay. And he was trying to get the auction started, and he had about $75, and he said, sold. Yep. I looked at him, and he said, we'll get that back. <laughs> he said, Everybody got their attention. The boys, yes. We're going to have an auction here now. Yes. You better bid, and he did. He had a good auction. Good strategy. It was a good good day. Right. Awesome. So you guys would have an annual auction? Uh, Did you do that for how long did you keep that going? We'd have one about once a year. Uh, Up into the early 60s. Well, we had them right up to the end. We'd have an occasional auction. Occasional. They got less and less. Yeah. Yeah. But we'd have them. And, uh, Tell them about the horses, Dad, when you were trading those in. The last about 1937. Your buyer of the horses? Oh, we were trading in horses. And, of course, we'd have horses on the auction. You would take horses in on trade? Yeah. I had traded that. So how do you value a, a used horse, Joe? How do you value a used horse? Do you remember? I wasn't very good at it, but I would take them <laughs> at 100 or $125. Okay. Mr. Riddell. I sold a fellow a spreader. Yeah. And I let him trade me five horses. Okay. And we had a horse buyer who was good. Okay. And he looked at these horses. There wasn't a sound one in the bunch. <laughs> Glue factory, I huh? didn't make any money on that oh, statement. Okay. It's kind of like uh, his, trading for a 40-20 with the clutch out of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> or the torque not working. Oh, man. This, trading uh, horses, wow. At that time, we had a farmer. Uh, who He would buy our horses. Okay. And just last week... I talked to his grandson. Really? And he remembers the granddad buying horses. So he was a horse jockey. Well, yes. Kind of, so to speak. That's what he was. A different kind of I said, who did he sell to? Well, he said in the community, just to farmers. But he said he would always hitch a horse and try it before he resold it. Wow. And so he was good. So the last horse you took in on trade was roughly, when would you guess, Joe? Didn't we guess that to be about 37? By the time I got into business, I don't think we were taking any horses. Okay. Forty-seven. So that was thirty-seven. We thirty-seven. 37. Okay. Okay. When I left, we were still trading in horses in thirty-seven, right. but not much more. Right. So that was when you were you were traveling, uh, traveling for deer. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. What do you remember about those early days when you were traveling for deer, calling on deer dealers, Joe? Well. I imagine I got to see a lot of dealers. Right. And as you know from your experience, there was a full range of dealers. Uh-huh. Who, who had, were some of your favorites that you visited? I had good dealers. I had one where Tim, the preceder, was over there in Lakin. Okay. And he was a good dealer. Belsley. What was his name? Belsley. Belsley. Okay. And one a dealer that I called on as a traveler. Yep. Who became outstanding as a dealer was his, the dad was Sam Martin in Roanoke. Oh, Martin! Okay. The boy was Louis Martin. Yep. They were on the farm. They had the parts in the hen house. Okay. And they had a two-car garage for a shop. Mm-hmm. 
And Louis was Louis was nineteen, and his mother said, "Take him to the country and teach him to sell." Okay. So I took him to the country, but I always told him afterwards. By noon, all I was doing was driving the car. <laughs> he became an outstanding dealer. Dealership he was so going. smart, so good. He connected with the customer. Yeah. Like, for instance, one yeah. thing he did, when the multiple cylinder, four and six cylinder came, yep. he bought all the two cylinder tractors that deer would sell him. Okay. I don't know how many he got, but he got a lot of them. Yep. And he just put them in the shed. Ah. And from there on, he sold two-cylinder tractors at a good profit. So he was ahead they of his... available anyplace else. He was kind of ahead of his time there a little bit, yeah. yeah Louis was a brilliant man, huh. and his dealership is still there. Uh-huh. Actually, it's his granddaughter, uh, I guess, now that is hmm. one of the powers. Okay. And how many dealers were you calling on back then, Joe? Well, we would be in a in single territory, be about eight or ten. Eight or ten. But okay. as it happened, I'd, I'd be transferred from one territory to the other temporarily for okay. various occasions. So I got to travel clear down below Springfield, east of Champaign, okay. west, clear over to the Iowa line. I called on a lot of different Now, that dealers. must have been in the late 30s. I mean, th- times were tough. Um, and you would go call on the dealers... Um, gosh, that must have been... You had a lot of COD parts then? You had to pay the parts at the post office? Well, yeah, that was when I was working my original job when I was a parts man. Okay. My dealer didn't have any money. He was broke. Right. If you ordered a special part for somebody, it would come in COD to the post office. Okay. And there were days when the farmer would come in with his money. Yep. And we'd take his money and go to the post office and pay the COD and bring his part back. Get the part, huh? <laughs> uh, just what you had to do. Yeah. To go back to when I traveled, one particular instance, I got acquainted with the dealer in Dwight. Okay. He was about my age. Okay. And that would be just when we got married, 39, 40. Sure. I was a friend of his. We were very close friends. Until he was a hundred years old, he he finally died when old. he was a hundred years old. Wow! But we'd been friends forever. Wow! He was, he, John Station, he was a very good man. And he was in Dwight. That was yes. interesting. Okay. And I had other dealers that I kept their friendship. You know, right. uh, as we were saying, the different kinds. I remember down south of Peoria, who who pulled? No, I wouldn't who pulled. Anyway. Jim was a dealer, and he Mm -hmm. was a small dealer, and he was his own bookkeeper. On his desk, he'd have files. Okay. And at that time, I sometimes would have to see the invoice. Okay. When I'd go to collect. Sure. He'd say, well, let's see. Right about here. (laughs) <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, I imagine just tons of. I, I could tell when I stopped at the gas station here in town, Joe, and I, I told someone I was coming to visit you and Tim, and uh, the two or three people in the gas station, they all said, "Oh, you know," I could tell they loved you. So I'm, I'm sure you've just related really well with people over the years, and a lot of good connections with farmers and well, dealers. And, actually. Uh, Every day, I liked to go to work. I mean, I really did like it. 
and we've been in town here, and as you know, by this time, our family was 12. 12 kids. Seven boys and five girls. And Tim, where were you in the... I'm fourth from the top. Fourth from the top, okay. Yes. He's my second boy. Okay. That two girls and then two boys, and Pat's the second boy. And our extended family now, married and children, great-grandchildren, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, our extended family is about 85. Before you go, I'll show you a picture of all of them. Okay, now, Joe, we need some words of advice here. You and your wife raised 12 kids and and 85 grandkids, great-grandkids. What would you tell people is the... You know, how did you guys do it? What? Well, I, I think that's what made us remembered here in town. I mean, because the kids were a good bunch. Mm-hmm. We weren't very tough on them. Mm-hmm. They ran around and played, you know. They could go, and when they hear the noon whistle, they knew it was time to come home and eat. Sure. And uh, they had lots of friends, and, and they, were, they were good, and... Uh, that is nice. We've been in this house 50 years. I was going to ask, yeah, this is a beautiful yeah. place right here on the corner. It was in 57. This house was for sale, luckily, very cheap. Okay. And no one else had a family as big as us. <laughs> so we bought uh, it. And we've this had this it. dinner table, that's seen some conversations. Huh? This wow. is a 4 by 8 sheet of plywood, which we put on top of our breakfast table legs. Awesome. And this is... We had two benches on each side of it, and then we could get the whole family at this table. When we moved in this house, this was the dining room. Okay. We converted this room to a kitchen. That's beautiful. And my wife designed that island in the middle. They were new at that time. Okay. And it gave us a place to have our dining room table and our kitchen so she designed it, huh? Well, it was her oh, thought. Pretty cool. She said, I'm not going to have a sink at a wall. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going Cooking to be, for 12 kids, that I'm must going have to be been... facing uh, the window. That must have been interesting. Tim, what was your favorite meal growing up? Uh, meatloaf. meatloaf. That went a long ways. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. But awesome. I wish we'd have kept all the toys we played with. Uh, oh, no we played kidding. in the dirt, my brothers and I. Okay. And now they're collector items, you know. Yeah. We wore them out. <laughs> you know, you ask about how to raise them, and we have always thought we didn't give them very much advice. We did send them to school and send them to church and and behave themselves and keep clean and right. some simple things. But they got ready. They all went to college. We took 12 kids to college, wow. and we went to 12 graduations. Wow. And That's ahead of its time, too. Tim was one yeah. of them. Vietnam wow. interrupted yeah. Tim, <laughs> but he came back and finished, and yeah. uh, they all graduated. Well, They went to more than 12 different universities. I don't know how many. Sure, sure. And... Several got master's degrees, and one got a doctor's degree. Wow. And uh, we still have a very close family. Hmm. We had about 75 here in this house for Christmas. Really? Wow. Our family is very close. Are most of them still around? And and we think that the large groups of many good people, the younger ones learn... They're, they're a very good bunch. Now we're spread out all over uh, okay. Seattle, Boise, 
Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Carolinas, out east. Um, there's five of us around here. Okay. Now, okay, now I have a question for Andy. Andy is Tim's son, uh, Joe's grandson. Now, Andy, what do you remember about, uh, or just tell us your thoughts about Grandpa Joe here. <laughs> uh, Must have learned a lot from him about uh, dealing with people and farming and life in general. Yeah, and of course I'm going to get all choked up now. <laughs> uh, the one thing I can say, it's just leading by example. Yeah. Awesome. It's, and now, Andy, you you are in farming, is that right? Right around right. Wyoming here. Yep. Okay. You got your start in the egg lending business over in Tulane. Yep. Okay. And now you're farming. Uh, is it right in the Wyoming area here? Yeah, we're spread over about 35 miles, uh, okay. based out of okay. Camp Grove, Wyoming area. Okay. So. so when you have questions, you Andy is farming our acreage. Right. Tim okay. farmed it. Now Andy's farming it. Well, that's awesome. Good deal. And we have, oh, we have Mom back here. <laughs> come ahead, Mom. Yep. Have a seat. Now her come over by Tim. Let uh, her come this way, Andy. It's all right. Shoot. Get up, Mom needs a seat. Get the two of them on the, on the picture. Okay, Mom. Greg's interviewing you, Mom. He's got John on the TV. Mom, 12 kids. You have 12, 12 kids, now. kids. 12 children. 12 yes. successful children. Nine girls and uh, seven boys. Okay. What do you remember when all the kids were around the house here together? What, what was that like? I beg your pardon. What was it like when all the kids were here in the house and they were young? Well, it was uh, a, a busy household, that's for sure, but they all helped in, uh, took uh, part in whatever had to be done. And okay. uh, the high school was just a block away. And... Uh, Grade school, two, three blocks. So uh, they uh, really took care of themselves as far as going to school. But it, it, it was a busy household, that's right. for sure. Now, I imagine at this kitchen table here, dinner yes. table, there yes. have been some stories about equipment and machinery over the years. Did you ever get tired of listening to all the tractor stories and talk? <laughs> I myself uh, never had uh, do any heavy part in the business down the Okay, store. okay. I was just... Uh, uh, too busy here at home. But you put up with all the tractor talk. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I know my mom, she's had her share of tractor talk at the kitchen table over the decades. But uh, Greg was in the yes. John Deere business, too. I yep. see. The yes. family, yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, just fantastic. Uh, what What do you remember about the early days when when, when Joe became a dealer? Uh, what What were those days like? Well. And the kids were young and. Uh, I recall, it. of course, he would be busy at the store, and uh, everything revolved about, like, for the evening meal when he would come home. But we always had uh, our evening meal together. But uh, as far as the store goes, it, uh, uh, John Deere was it. John Deere was it. <laughs> and, awesome. Yes. Good stuff. But, uh, conversation well. took uh Place uh, about what was going on with the various people that were their customers, and right. and uh, we felt we knew them. Yeah, well, that's that's the secret to a good business over the years is knowing your customers and treating them fairly. And and Joe, I I think that's uh, and Tim, thank you very I much. Think that's what you guys have done, and it's been such a treat to visit with you guys. I appreciate you having me to the house here, and uh, yeah, it's been great fun today, Joe. Thanks again. Real good pleasure to get acquainted with you, with your John Deere background. Well, yeah, it's uh, I, I love talking machinery with people, and I 
fascinating to hear the, the family histories. So, again, thanks much, Joe and Tim. There we go. Um, thank now you, that you're retired, I can talk you into helping me cover some auctions sure. maybe. Sure. Good deal. All right. Well, thanks again. Bye now. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview with my, my late friend Joe Kogan. Again, passed away in April of 2015 at the age of 101. Uh, I was so appreciative for the Kogans for um, allowing me into their home to sit and be so open and share their memories and experiences, and still so much we can learn today. Like I said, I some of the most fun interviews I've done have been with folks in their 90s. I remember, in fact, you guys maybe remember episode 7 of our Machine Repeat podcast. Uh, we shared the interview I did with uh, Harold Brock. Um, trying to remember, I think Harold was 90, 95, 96, just a couple months before he passed. But of course, Harold was the famous engineer on the Ford 9N tractor and then the chief engineer on the John Deere 4020. So if you missed the episode 7, go back and check that out. But again, these truths that these folks like Carol Brock and Joe Colgan share. It's its a part of our past, our American history, small town, rural roots. Um, and, you know, it's also interesting to compare their experiences with what's going on today. So, in fact, when we did that interview 10 years ago, Tim Colgan, Joe's son, had just retired from KSR Equipment. Now, you maybe saw, folks, that just a couple months ago, KSR Equipment had big news there. They are uh, forming a larger dealership now with Holland and Sons into the new Prairie State Tractor, uh, prairiestatetractor.com. They have eight locations in north central Illinois. So things continue to evolve. Uh, dealerships get bigger. Uh, obviously, farms get bigger. But there are still things, you know, we can learn from those who have gone before us. So, again, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Joe Kogan and uh, – yeah, Joe, still think about you, and and Magella, uh, thank you again for sharing. And I guess I'll leave you with this, folks. I, I tend to bring out this message about Thanksgiving time, um, but I'll just say it again here. If you haven't done this yet, taken the opportunity with your grandpa or grandma or your uncle or your aunt or your parents to get them on video and just record it and just ask, it might feel funny. But just trust me. Just do it. Ask them what it was like. Hey, what, what were the 40s like? What were the warriors like? What was farming like in the 50s? How did you get through the 80s? Get them talking. And if you're like me, the voice is a powerful thing. So, I mean, Joe's been gone, you know, almost six years now. And Magella's been gone for four. Uh, Magella passed uh, January 2nd of 2017 at the age of 98. But even when we lose those in our lives, they're never gone from us. They're in our heart. They're in our minds. So, but it is cool to be able to go back and hear them talk. Uh, and again, uh, you can check out the video I did with Joe. Uh, it's on YouTube. So again, folks, thanks for sharing and joining, giving us your time this week. And uh, tune in for the next episode of the Machine Repeat Podcast. Until then, I will see you on the next